Father, we just ask, though, specifically that in our frailty, you would be strong and in in your ability to really open things that have never been opened before. I ask for just an atmosphere, Jesus, where you will behold us, where you'll sit before us. And as the words of your scriptures are released or expounded on, that they would resonate and reside and not be plucked away, God. We ask for soil that is fertile and that none of the word that's sown this morning would be able to be removed by distraction or um, contemplation, analyzation, but that it would simply be uh, faith in action, that our soil would be good and we'd bring forth 30, 60, and 100-fold in Jesus' name. So in Romans 5, we've been talking about the word of 2019 over us as a body was God demonstrates. And what He does to us all the time is He demonstrates His love for us, He demonstrates His depth of being, He demonstrates His his weaving of all the parts of the body into one thing. And we talked about a couple weeks ago, the reality that nothing that the apostle Paul said, or that the Holy Spirit said through the apostle Paul makes any sense without the foundation of grace and peace. And that's why he starts every single letter with grace and peace. Because if you don't have peace with God, grace doesn't make sense. If you think you're not at peace with him, you won't understand grace. If if you, don't, if you think you have peace, but you don't understand that you're dead to sin, you won't have grace. And so what he's trying to do is prevent you from walking in condemnation and prevent you from condemning others. That's right. So his, his entire responsibility, Apostle Paul, is trying to get people to understand you've been delivered from something that you think you're still captive to. And like Tommy said last week, faith and the belief are two separate things. Yes. Belief is the seed that produces the fruit of faith. Always. So whatever you believe, then you will act on it. And whether it's good faith, which is faith toward God, or it's wrong faith, which is faith toward the world, you're either operating in one or the other. You're still operating in faith. You're still operating on what you believe. Okay? So it's not like lack of belief, lack of faith. You hear that lack? It's wrong belief and wrong faith. You're, you're moving the wrong direction. So the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, is trying to do that in Romans. So I'm going to cover Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do. So it's going to be what it's going to be, and we're just going to dive in and go for it. So grace and peace. And I'm going to pick it up because we, we, we went through that first part of 5. But in verse 5, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that, okay? But one one of the things that's in this passage of Scripture is a revelation that I have never had before until now. That's why God wants me to walk through this kind of overview today. And then we're going to go back and dive into it kind of week by week in the future as God allows. So we were sinners and Christ died for us. A lot of people in in faith today, they say they're Christians, will still tell you they're sinners saved by grace, which is a lie. That's right. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're either a son of God or you're still a sinner. You can't be a son of God and be a sinner. The two cannot exist together. So, can you do things that are not in keeping with the nature and character of God? Yes. And that's what this revelation is really about. It's about the body of sin. What does it really mean for you to be dead to sin? What does it really mean for me to be dead to sin? 
Okay, that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit's laying out for us in these, in these verses. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, justified, like you've never sinned before. Justified, past tense. You've never sinned before. When? Right now. Right now. Right now. Do something wrong. Right now. It's justified. You're, every time you, in, you do something in not keeping with the character and nature of God, you're still justified. Okay, that's what Scripture says. You're justified. And then he says, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's zero wrath for you ever again. In Christ, there's zero wrath. So, goes on. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You weren't reconciled by your works. You're not reconciled by your actions or behaviors in any way, ever, zero, It's by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Zero, guys. You're reconciled by Jesus and only Jesus. That's right. Okay? That's what he's saying. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's already in us. We already have received it. It's a past tense deal. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Holy Spirit is presenting a new piece of this, okay? So what's going to happen is in 5, 6, 7, and 8, I've heard this. I've heard this, and I believe it's wrong. This is a progression, and Paul's talking about a progression of life from faith into life in the Spirit. And I've even heard people, well-respected people, say that in chapter 7 when we get there, Paul's actually describing a time before he was a Christian and a time after he was a Christian. And I would refute that. And I'll refute it through Scripture. I'm not going to refute it with my opinion. I'll just tell you what the Bible says. What I'm going to tell you is this. Jesus is an advocate. That means he's a lawyer. That means in the the highest court that could ever be, he is with all supreme knowledge, standing before the one who has all supreme knowledge, advocating as a lawyer on my behalf and your behalf and everyone's behalf, whoever would believe. He's a perfect lawyer. Not a lawyer that's trying to scheme and connive. He's a lawyer that knows the law of God and and a lawyer who knows the law of grace. And he's extremely good at what his his job is, which is to advocate for us. So he does it when he writes scriptures. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not somebody who's trying to make up or, or grow in progression. He has it all. So when the Holy Spirit released this through Paul, he released it in totality. Think about that. So there's not, this, isn't, this isn't something he's trying to build upon. He's saying, in totality, I'm a perfect lawyer. So why does he write the way he writes? Because he's identifying things that say it's not by works, which the Jewish people, by the way, have been living centuries under works. And suddenly have somebody standing before them going, throw it all away because there's a good covenant, a better covenant standing before you. It's the one Christ. Believe in Him and that's it. Amen. And they're going, that's crazy. And see, Christians, Christians in the Western world came into faith. And in some of the ways that we came into faith was, we came into faith by grace, but now you better behave. Now you better fit. Now you better do right. 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 And if you're not doing right, oh, you got a tattoo. Oh, you did that. Oh, you swore. Oh, you did that. Oh, you did this. And all of a sudden, we've made Western Christianity all about works too. So God is now entering into the scene saying, there's a revival coming, Nicole, like you said. There's a revival. And guess what? Revival doesn't come unless grace is real. Unless there's grace and peace. You can't have revival if there's no peace. What are you going to do? Invite a bunch of people in? They're going to get saved and then tell them how to start behaving again? That's why revivals die. That's right. 
That's why they go away. That's why denominations have come to pass. Because people came in and got saved, and then they said, now that you're saved, you've got to do it like this. Oh, you don't speak in tongues, you're out. Oh, you speak in tongues, you're in. Oh, you do that? Oh, you wear a dress, you're in. Oh, you don't wear a dress, you're out. And revival's now dead. Why? Because peace and grace have left. Because people don't know they have peace with God. I ha- thought I had peace with God. I came in and believed. But now that you say that I have peace, now I have to look like you, act like you, talk like you, and think like you. And if I don't, I'm outside of it. So where's the peace in that? Now I'm walking around in my house going, I hope God's not mad at me because I don't know. I might have sinned. I might have screwed up. I might have thought this and thought that. Zero peace in their lives. And you want to expect them to have revival? Peace is in Christ alone. I don't know what's going there, but here we go. <laughs> Death in Adam, life in Christ. So he's, he's, what, what's happening here in these, in these chapters is the Holy Spirit is presenting things to the, to the body of Christ. But then he knows how men think. And so that's why he continues to expound on what he's already said. He's not trying to walk you in progression. What he's trying to do is say, here's an idea and here's a concept and here's what it is. And he'll come back to it through another scripture and identify it. So that's what I'm going to try to do for, do for you. I'm going to try to weave you to understand why, did he do it? why does he say that? It's because he's identifying what happened in chapter 5. Why does he say that in 7? Because he's identifying what happened in chapter 6. Because when he wrote this, he didn't write it in chapters and verses. He wrote it like a letter. Yes. And if you write a letter to somebody and you present a new concept, a new idea, guess what? That new idea and that new concept needs some expounding before they can actually obtain it mm-hmm. as their own. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, and Paul's the vessel. So he says, he, he, he gives this example, death in Adam and its life in Christ. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted. Something burning? Something covering that. Is there a jacket on that? No. Hmm. <laughs> all right, back to this. So here's what's happening. Death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Sin's in the world before the law came. But where there's no law, sin's not counted. How can you sin if you don't have a law or something right to, to hold it as a standard against? Okay, guys get it? So really, here's the, here's the point. Before law, sin was dead. Okay? Write that in your notes. Before the law, sin was dead. And here's the point. Dead sin is neither positive nor negative. I mean, a dead thing laying in front of me right here. Can it have any effect, positive or negative? No, it's dead. Here's what we've done. We have thought in our minds, here's what I've done. I've thought in the mindset of since sin is death, it is always a negative effect. That's how I've thought. And I'm sure some of you have thought that way. This is part of the revelation that I'm getting from the Holy Spirit. So I've prayed into this, guys, and I'm just going to lay it out there like it is. But if sin is dead... It has neither a positive nor a negative effect. That's right. Dead can't have a negative effect. It's zero. Okay? So we're going to go on. So if, if, this, if the law, mark that down, before it has to have a law for it to be counted. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So here's the concept. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through one man's trespass, much more... Have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So you had one negative act, cr- killed everybody. 
you have one positive. The obedience of Jesus Christ saved everybody. That's what he's saying. And so he says, And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So when Adam sinned, he brought them to condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one thing wrong equaled death for everyone. And then it wasn't since everyone's dead, now do 616 things right and you'll have life. It was free gift. Free gift. Don't work for it. Can't work for it. You can't do anything to get it. You either are going to receive it or not receive it, but it's not anything that you can do. So it's free, 100% free. And what did it bring? Justification, meaning as though you've never committed one thing wrong. Okay? For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, catch that, those who receive the abundance of grace, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ today who say, yeah, I'm saved by grace, and they don't know anything about the abundance of grace. Because their daily routine is trying to be a better Christian. The daily routine is trying to find ways to be more effective at Christianity, more pleasing to men who are in Christianity, to be more accepted by their denomination and the people they surround themselves with. They are constantly in a fight to strive to look like Jesus instead of be like Jesus. And I was there. I've been there. I'm learning how to not be there. And this barn helps me. You guys help me. I wrote a text message to Dave Dugan on Friday night, and I guess it never sent. But the text message, there's a power and love that might come to Knoxville. So there's an excitement among some leadership because Todd White's coming, Dan Muller's coming. And I love those guys. You know, they've, they've helped me understand things that I didn't understand. And I shared this with Dave and Michelle last night. But all of a sudden on Friday night, I'm working by myself up in the church house. And I'm working and I'm pondering the excitement that people have over men. Yes. So-and-so might come to Knoxville. So and so am I. And I'm excited. I mean, I don't, don't hear this. I'm not being negative about it. What I'm saying is I'm pondering it. And I'm just holding it before the Lord going, why is there such an excitement? I'm getting text messages from all the guys I, I, I'm leadership with around the community. And, and there's some that are just like, it's not like, hey, what do you think about it? Some are like, Todd White might come. So I'm thinking about it, thinking about it. And then like the Holy Spirit just shows up. And as clear as anything says to me, what you have is far greater than anything that those men could bring to you. Yeah. Yeah, Lord. And, I, and immediately I saw the faces of everybody in the barn. I saw the Dugans, I saw Don, I saw the Fajitis, I saw Ray, I saw you guys. And the Holy Spirit was like, this is where excitement is in my heart. Amen. And I was just Amen. like, something changed in me where I was like, because before that I'd be like, yeah, so excited, you know, I'd love to spend time with so-and-so. Then what? So I meet him, I meet a clay of jar, a jar of clay. Yes. And then if I don't have a relationship that's meaningful, well, then what? Now I can walk around and go, well, I met Todd White. So I don't think Todd cares. I mean, it wouldn't be like, he's like, yeah, I met Justin. You know, like, it's ridiculous. But see what we do in Christianity is we do the same things the world does. We lift people up and then all of a sudden we're excited about the wrong thing. You know what I'm excited about? The kingdom to advance. So if it takes that group of people, come on, Lord. And if I meet him, come on. That's awesome, too. If I don't, I don't care. Because what I have is this is what I have. Amen. This is what God's given me. And I would take it a million times over trying to meet somebody famous in Christianity. Amen. So I don't know. I'm just sharing that for whatever reason. Somebody need to hear it. I needed to hear it again. 
My heart changed. I'm just yes. telling you. I was like, yes. whoo. Are you kidding? I'd take a meeting like this any day. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying, death reigned through the one man, but much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christians are supposed to reign in life. And you can't reign in life if you think sin has power over you. That's what being dead, that's why this, this point of being dead to sin is so important in this idea of grace. Because if I would think and believe sin is negative in my life, has the power to be negative in my life, then I cannot reign. Because I'm always trying to overcome it. I'm always trying to overcome it. Jesus didn't tell me that. He said, believe. And he said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. He never told me to seek how to fix myself. He said, seek my kingdom and my righteousness. I'll fix you. I'll add everything to you you need. So he says, reigning in life, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Your only form of righteousness is what? Jesus. When can you tell yourself and anyone else that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? When can you say it? Always. Every minute of every day, you just told a lie. You can say it right now. You were just rude. Say it right now. Why? Because when sin tries to abound, grace abounds the much more. We're about to cover that. So he says, many will be made right. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what happened? When Adam sinned, there was no law for man. All the way until who? Moses. Galatians 3 says what? The law was put into effect by angels and an intermediary, which means an intermediary indicates there are two. But God is one. That's Galatians chapter 3. What does it mean? It means that before Christ, we were a different kind than God. And a law was necessary as a contract as an intermediary in order to guardian us under who God is so that we could have relationship through a contract. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and becomes the contract and does away with the other party and makes everyone one with God. So the contract disappears because it becomes Jesus. Now you believe and now you're one with Him even as He and the Father are one. So now there's no need for a law or contract. Why? Because you're one with the Father. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now that I'm one with Him, I don't have any contract to uphold. I'm simply one with Him. That's what Paul's trying to say. So he says, when the the sin came, or the, the law came to increase the trespass. Here's why it comes. You don't know that you're covetous unless somebody says, don't covet. What is coveting? God defined the things that would once condemn, and he actually, here's what happened. When the law came, he gave life to sin. We're about to see that. I'm just throwing that out there as a teaser. Boom. All right. So, grace abounds all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the only way to reign in life is what? To be in grace and to know you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's powerful. He says, but here's the lawyer. He shows up. Holy Ghost lawyer. What does he say? Well, what shall we say then? Because he knows what men are going to say. Well, we're dead to the law and we're, and we're free and sin has, has no effect on us and it's not. So let's just do whatever we want. The Holy Spirit shows up and goes, what are we going to say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
He's a lawyer. And he's defining the rebuttal before the rebuttal even comes. He says, how can you, we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that you all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He became who knew no. He became who knew no that we might become of God. Why were you bat- you were baptized into his death? Why does Christ why does Paul say in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live as Christ who lives in me. Cuz he's writing this same passage. It's the same thing. He's saying, guys, you were baptized into his death. When he died as sin, you died as sin. But you have to believe that. He physically did it, you have to spiritually do it. You have to believe that you are dead. Not positive or negative, dead to sin. The so if you died in it... The, the old saint referred to it as the white funeral. Mm, the white funeral. That's right. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, just as Christ, not like him, just as him, we raised from the dead by the glory... We, we raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you're baptized in His death, and now you can walk in newness of life. So what does that look like? If we're united, and so he continues to expound, if we're united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. The Bible says that if we are going to say that we're in Christ, then we must live like He lived. And it says, as He was, so are we in this world. You've got to live a resurrection life. That's why cardboard box church exists. Right? You're living a resurrection life. You're living a new life. You're doing what Jesus did under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the... This verse is one of my favorite now. This is where the revelation hit me, actually. Romans 6.6 6. We know that our old self, or our old man, or our body, or our, our sin capsule, if you want to call it that, I like that term. Our sin capsule was crucified with him in order that, and he says this, the body of sin might be brought to nothing. I'm reading the ESV. In the Greek, the word he uses here is annulled. So the body of sin was annulled. Do you know what the word annulled means? It means to have no effect. You annul a marriage, it's as though you were never married. It's to render it inoperative, to render it powerless, to render it of no effect. That means, guys, that the body of sin does not have a negative effect in a believer's life. It can't have a negative effect if grace is really true. It only has an effect of negativity because we believe in the power of sin. Do you guys see that? If I believe that sin can be negative, I will walk around with an understanding that both my actions and others' actions and behaviors are determinant on whether or not things are going well or not. But if I can look into the reality of the gospel of grace and say it is absolutely of zero effect when my wife treats me in a way that's less than Christ, I have no reason to respond to her because when she treats me as less than Christ... She's a doing nothing. She's not doing something positive and she's not doing something negative. She's just doing nothing. It's a waste of time for her. If I'm treating her in a way that is not keeping with Christ, 
she can know that that is something I'm doing that is of no effect. Because here's the deal. It doesn't change my position, my, my ability to, pro- to progress, or my placement in Christ. It changes it zero unless I think there's power in sin. And this is a frightening thing, you know, frightening for the body of Christ. Why? Because we were trained and grown up in how to behave. Come to Jesus and behave. We should have <laughs> sing a song like that. Come to Jesus and behave. Now, now, guys, hear me though. The Holy Spirit said, what? Shall we then sin that grace may abound? The reality is in my life, guys, the more Jesus draws me into this understanding, the less I even contemplate the things I once did. It's not like I'm trying to figure out a way to do things the world would want to do. I'm being more raptured and captured by the love of Jesus as he, as he opens these doors of going, Justin, sin is zero effect. It's annulled. I annulled the body of sin. I never have to look at another human being who is in Christ and has negative behavior and have anything to do with it. I don't have to be up or down about it. I can just be me and Jesus. I can just be love. I don't have to be up or down about their behavior. I never again. I, I am free from having to be up or down about other people's behavior. My children, my wife, my family, my church family, and the whole body of Christ at large. And especially people outside of the body of Christ because they don't know any better. Right? That's freedom, guys. That is total and complete freedom. So this revelation he gave me about this dead body of sin... He wants this to become so rudimentary and ingrained in our hearts so that we don't look at our own behaviors and give power to sin. And that's what we're going to keep going because that's what he talks about. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be what? Brought to nothing. Say that with me. Brought to nothing. Let's say it again. Brought to nothing. That just helps our spirit, I'm telling you. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No longer. Can't be enslaved. Can't live in it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Dead people can't do right or wrong, right? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. So this, this whole thing being dead to sin, again, is not a license to do anything except live with Jesus. Live the life Jesus lives. Like, if you're just perverted grace is... Yeah, Jesus covered it all and you can be whoever you want. Jesus is still cool. Wrong. Jesus took sin serious. That's why he died on a cross. So it's not about doing whatever you want to do. It's about living with him. The whole point of being dead to sin is to live with him more. If I'm captivated by wrong behavior and wrong believing over here, I'm not really living with him because I'm keeping myself away from him. And he's going, come close. And I'm going, no, I've done this and thought that and been over here. And And he's like, no, come here. And I'm like, ah, and I'm on this side. What? Dead to sin means any moment I am rude, I am crude, I am wrong. Any moment I can be like, whoa, that's a dead work. I'm out. I'm going close to Jesus. Whoa, thank you, Lord. Keep on that. Keep reminding me of those things, right? And I'm neither now impacted positively or negatively, and I don't have to run around trying to please men. Yes. Not only do I not have to make it up to God, I don't have to make it up to men. When I screw something up, grace says to me, you're righteous. You're the righteousness of God. I don't have to grovel before men. I don't have to please men. I can turn around immediately and be like, Jesus, that was rude. Thank you for healing me. I'm not going to be rude again. And I'm just going to walk with you and learn how to live with you. 
that's that's repentance, guys. Repentance isn't even really the behavior. It's an actual transformation yes. in this thing that says, you know what? What you just did was completely waste of time. Neither yes. positive nor negative. You just wasted your time. Yeah. So turn now and come spend your time with me. That's right. I love you. Sounds like a Ford car. Ding, ding, ding. I love you. That's an inside joke between Jordan and I. So, moving on. He says, we've been set free from, de- from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Nor does it have dominion over us. For the death he died, he died to sin. sin. Dead, guys, gone. Once for all. Yeah. He doesn't have to die again. You don't have to die again. It's done. But the life he lives, he lives to who? God. God. So it's not trying to figure out what to do wrong. It's trying to figure out how to live this life to God. How to put a 12 by 12 cardboard box church on the side of a road, right? How to make a lemonade out of a lemon once in a while, you know? How to have fun, right, Wyatt? How to lose a tooth in church and keep on drawing, right, Mason? (laughs) Amen? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do you know how long I've read that scripture right there and thought it's about my behavior? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You know what he's saying? Everything, everything, guys, is from a seed of belief. Everything in the kingdom is about believing. Everything in the kingdom is about faith. Everything in the kingdom is what are your seeds and what are they producing? That's the kingdom life. If you have a seed of right believing, you'll produce the fruit of right faith. Always. So right believing says, guys, sin can't reign in your body. It's dead. So if I walk around with the mindset that my sin, my wrong behavior at times, because guess what? There's nobody who's free from it. That's why chapter 7 exists in Romans. Because the Apostle Paul is admitting his own failure, saying, and we're going to get there. But I'm telling you guys, nobody gets it perfect. So that means you're going to do something at some point, sometime, probably today, that is not in keeping with the character and nature of God. When that happens, you have every opportunity to turn and say, you don't reign my life. I reign in this life. And because I reign in this life, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm turning from that dead work because that was a waste of time. Every time. Right now. Right now. Right now. Jesus is always with us, always moving on us, and always giving us the liberty and freedom to walk in it. So he goes on and he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's actually talking about your physical body. Members. He's talking about the same body of sin, the physical body of sin that he annulled. So what he's saying is, don't give your hand over to that thing. Don't give your mind over to that thinking. Don't give it over to it. Because guess what? It doesn't have power over you. But you have to believe that. I have to believe that. It doesn't have power over me. See, Satan will assault you sometimes with thoughts. He'll, he'll assault you with maybe, if, you're, if you've been a propensity towards sexual sin, he'll assault you with sexual sin thoughts. And try to convince you that they're your thoughts. And then when he convinces you that you're, they're your thoughts and you think sin has power, now you sit 
in a tormented place instead of at peace with God going, I thought I was delivered from this. I didn't think this was about me. I don't know what's going on inside of me. Oh. And now it's all about you and the, and the wrong action when really it was the enemy who planted a seed and now you're letting that seed become your own belief. So what the Father is trying to do with, with, with us is He's trying to say, guys, rea- realize that you are no longer under the power of those thoughts. If you are dead to them and they come in, it's from the outside. It's not from the inside. Recognize them. Just put them down. Well, that thought isn't from, from, from the Lord and it's definitely not from me because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So you're dead. You're a dead work thought. I don't care what it is. And so He says... Um, for sin will have no dominion over you. Let's say this together. Sin will have no dominion over me. Sin will have no dominion over me. In Jesus' name. That's the Scriptures. Since we are not under law, but under grace. So we're not under law, but under grace. What did the Holy Spirit just do? He just threw another concept into the mix. So now he needs to identify that. You're not under law, you're under grace. Here comes the lawyer part, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. So since sin is dead, should you sin? No. Since you're not under law, should you sin? No. Why? Because sin will have no dominion over you. How could you? It's actually dead. And if you recognize and believe that it's dead, you actually won't ever give it the power or the authority in your life. So, he says then, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So you have a choice. That's what the kingdom's all about, guys. Permission. Jesus is all about permission. You can choose. Nobody's forced into the kingdom. And so when God brings people into the kingdom, how do they come? By faith alone. And why? He offered every man a portion of faith. In Romans, today's 120, right? January 20th? Yeah. Romans 120, it says, Even by the invisible attributes of God are made known in creation itself, and no one has an excuse. Every single person in the entire universe that's ever been created has a measure of faith. It's whether or not they will ap- apply that measure of faith to believing what Jesus said. They will. In Jesus' name. In, a, in an abundant acceleration right now in Jesus' name. Especially in this community. It's awesome. So here's your choice. Believe that sin has power in you and then you can choose to yield yourself to it and do nothing. Negative nor positive. You're just doing nothing. You're wasting your time. Or believe that your members are committed as righteousness and actually live unto God. It's your choice. He's saying whatever you present yourself to, that's the slave you'll become. But he says this. I love verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul presented grace. They believed it. Now from the heart, they are, they are applying it. Okay? And he says, And having been set free from sin, you've become a slave of righteousness. Here's what happened in my life. When Christ came in and began to set me free, it was His righteousness that continuously fills me with both significance and security. I know that I'm valued in the kingdom of God because Jesus made me his, his brother and God made me his son. He's given me significance through that righteousness. He's given me security. I know that I'm loved. How? He demonstrated his love for me in dying on the cross. 
It's done. I never have to wonder, does God love me? The cross says he does. Every day, all the time, never stops. 100% of the time, God loves me. So if I have love and security, I have it through what? Righteousness. And that makes me a slave to him because I want more righteousness to know that I'm valued because we have a need to know we're valued. To say that you don't have a need to be valued is a lie. God created us to have a need to be valued because he created us as kids who needed a father. He didn't create us perfect like him. He created us with a need for relationship. And even he has a need for relationships. Why there's a father, son, and Holy Spirit. So we are in his image, but we are even more needy than he is. He doesn't need us. We need him. So in that, righteousness makes me a slave to it because I want to get back to God and know that there's a value here and there's a placement for you and there's a love here. And that's why the whole thing's about relationship. No contracts. No works. Relationship. Loving him. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members to slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to slaves to righteousness unto sanctification. Here's one of the lies in the body of Christ. You're in a process of being sanctified. I'm just going to say it. That's bold and I'm going to say it because I'm not going to be afraid of people anymore. There are things about the revelations that God is giving me that are frightening to me in some level. But the reality is, I am not working on a process of becoming more sanctified. Hebrews, if that was true, then Hebrews 10 would be a lie, which says, He sanctified us once for all in His death. If He sanctified me once for all, how then am I growing in sanctification? All we did was, we took the word sanctification and created a term that would be Christianese for works-based growth in God. Well, you're just being sanctified, brother. You're just being, you got to work on your sanctification, sister. You just got to behave. You just got to act. You just got to create. You just got to become. None of that is the case. He sets you apart and gave you what he gave you, complete and whole, without any breakdown in it. Would that not be complete? So here's the, here's the problem I have with being, you're growing in sanctification. So you're going to do things that are going to increase your Christ-likeness so that what? You're going to stand before Jesus and be like, thanks for saving me, but I'm sure glad I did A, B, C, and D so that I could look more like you when I got here. You're going to tell Jesus that it was up to you to create who you are in Him? I'm not. So what I'm telling you is this. When he presented our members as slaves of righteousness unto sanctification, what he's saying is, you are sanctified, live like it. Believe that. So if you're set apart, live set apart. Stop letting your eye gate be filled with the garbage of the world that's destroying the seeds of belief that Jesus put inside you. See, when the body present, when the eye receives the darkness, do you know that the whole body becomes dark? When you watch movies and you watch YouTube and you watch Facebook, and I don't care if it's just slander and gossip and negativity and, and all the stuff that's flooding through media, social media continuously. I'm just telling you, there is a flood of things that come through social media that are completely anti the kingdom of God. 
And even though you can sit and watch it and go, yeah, that's anti the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's anti kingdom of God. Yeah, that's anti kingdom of God. You're absorbing it through your eye gate, which can then create bitterness and rivalry and condemnation in your soul and judgment because you're opening yourself up to a spiritual realm you don't know that you're opening yourself up to. See, I'm just telling you guys, these are the real things. If you are sanctified and set apart, don't sit and be a sponge to the things of the world. Don't be a sponge to sarcasm. Don't be a sponge to gossip. I get it. We, we are above. I, you know, I could hear a curse word in a movie, but I don't need to watch a movie filled with curse words so that I'm being inundated by the wrong kind of language that comes from a world and a kingdom that I'm not a part of. I don't need language from that world. I need language from my king and the king's kingdom. So I'm not saying do and behave and become. What I'm saying is I am set apart. Why would I, why would I compromise my set-apartness and not be able to have a tighter and closer and, and, and more intimate relationship with Jesus. Because I'm in being inundated by things of no effect. Mm-hmm. Again, guys, I'm not saying if you watch this and see this and do that, you're, you're, you have this negative tailspin. What I'm saying is it's of no effect. You're not increasing your ability to walk one in oneness with Jesus. That's why it, it can look like works. It can look like... Behavior, because what we become then is one that says, well, we're a denomination, we don't watch TV. Now it becomes that everybody who comes in has to wonder, well, should we watch TV, should we not watch TV? Should we listen or should we not listen? Where's the peace of God? It just left. It never was here. No. But, why does the Holy Spirit speak these kind of things? Because there are places in every one of our lives where we could let less of the world's kingdom in. Because there's still somewhere in everybody's journey that you could put, a, put up a standard where the standard has been dropped a little. And that's important. You know, it's important for us to walk that journey out in Him. Because guess what? You're presenting yourself to righteousness, which leads, it's unto sanctification. You're already sanctified. Now you get to live like it. Okay? And it's not up to you. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So I'm a slave to God. The fruit I'm getting is a set apart life. And that end of that is my eternal life. It's a glorious thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a new concept he just presented. Wages of sin is death. Where did he present it? He presented it in chapter 5 when he said, Adam's sin led to death. So now the Holy Spirit has to define for you what does it mean to be the wages of sin to be dead. So he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Law only applies in life. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. I don't know if you could get a a verse that's more simplified than that about works and the law of God and and the old covenant, but that's as simple as it comes. It says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. 
So he's explaining this, this, this idea of death. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, what's that? The body of sin. Our sinful passions, they were aroused by the law, and they were at work where? In our members, and they bear fruit for death. Jesus put the body of sin to death. He annulled it, made it of no effect. Right? So then we came in and we're in this body of flesh. Our sinful passions being aroused by a law that gave them life. They're at work in our body. And what's it producing? Death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We got to serve in the way of the spirit. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is, there's freedom. Why? Because there's no more death. There's no more sin. There's no place for it to exist. What should we say then? That the law is sin? Here's the the advocate again, the lawyer. By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So, apart from the law, sin lies dead. There was no law when Adam transgressed. It was dead, right? That's what he said in Romans chapter 5. So now he's saying again, he's identifying, he's redefining what he, what he said in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 7. He's saying even now where the law now is no longer existent, sin lies dead. Because Christ what? He fulfilled the law. And he died. So all of this points to Jesus, guys. Every bit of this points to Jesus. The fact that the sin is dead. And here's Paul now interjects himself into the case. He's making a case study for this whole thing. Now it's like, here's my example. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and then I died. Do you guys understand that? How that works? How does, how does the law kill him? Because it points out the sin that he can't get rid of. See, you can't get rid of sin. I can't get rid of sin. Nobody can fix themselves. Nobody can overcome sin, guys. No one, no human being can overcome sin. You can't overcome wrong behavior. It's either by the Spirit or it's not at all. You can curb it for a short time. Maybe. But it's still going to be around unless the Spirit changes us. So then he says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. The law came... And said, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. Do, 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 do. I just said do, do. It is do, do. And it promised life. Because why? If you can live by all the commands, you would be a perfect man. And therefore, you would have perfect relationship with the Father. It promises life, but then there's a problem. I'm in the mix. That's what Paul's saying. So the law is not bad. It's holy, just, righteous, and pure. But I'm in the mix, and I'm not holy, just, righteous, and pure, and therefore I will not be able to do it perfectly. And so then he died, 
because of that, it became death to him. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. But Paul's not. Right? Apart from Christ, Paul's not. Apart from Christ, I'm not. No one is. So did that, here's the, the lawyer part, did that which is good then bring, bring death to me? By no means. See, the law didn't kill anybody. It was what the law pointed out that killed everybody. Yes. Very clear distinction. God didn't send a law that was holy, just, righteous, and pure to destroy people. He sent it to, to highlight, to shine light on sin, which was the major problem. Yes. Knowing that sin was the major problem, he sent his son, who would become that sin and die for us. Okay? So he says, Did that which is good then bring death? No means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that the sin might shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That phrase means you can't overcome it. Think about it. The Pharisees tried so hard to live perfect lives, and what did they still do? They fell short of the glory of God. The New Testament believer is the same jar of clay, except that we have been made one with Christ. No New Testament believer can live perfect. Guys, I know that's a shocker to some in the body of Christ who try every day to live perfect, but you can't. If you could, there would have been no point to send Jesus because it would have been about you and whoever else is like you. No one's like him. Therefore, he alone became the sacrifice for sin because we couldn't do it. Sinful, sin is sinful beyond measure. It's beyond the ability to anyone to overcome. So he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I, and this is Paul, I am of the flesh sold under sin. What's he saying? He's saying, I still have a sin capsule. I still got a flesh suit. I'm still human being. And that human being part of me, that flesh suit part of me, is still sold under sin. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Can anybody relate to that at times? Now, this is where I get to that point where some people in the body of Christ say, well, this was before Paul was a Christian. But that makes no sense because when we're about to uncover would absolutely mean that Paul then thought he was perfect. And Paul knew he wasn't perfect. His last letter to Timothy was, I'm the chief of the sinners, but the grace of God has saved me, and therefore I no longer am what I once was. Right? So he goes on and he says, We know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. Hear that? Guess what, guys? I don't want to be rude. And there are times when I am rude. It's true. I hate that. So I don't want to do that, but I do it. But I do the very thing I hate. Okay? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. The law is good. The reason you don't want to do it is because you're alive in the Spirit. The reason Paul doesn't want to do it is because he's alive in the Spirit. If you didn't care whether or not you did it, then you're not alive in the Spirit and the things of the Spirit are completely pointless because the natural man cannot perceive the things of God. That's what Corinthians says. So the whole fact that you don't want to do the things that you are doing means that you're actually in Christ. But if you're doing things and you don't care that you're doing them and you're enjoying doing them, then you're probably not in Christ. Pretty simple. So he says... I'm agreeing with the law. The law is good. 
So now, it's no longer I who do it. Guys, this is the Bible. The Apostle Paul is saying this. It's no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, he clarifies, Holy Spirit clarifies, in my flesh suit. You know what he's saying? He's like, when you guys do things that are not in keeping with the nature and character of Christ, it's not really you. It's a dead person who's acting out of the deadness of their life. Therefore, the one that's, that you really are is the son or daughter of God. And you can acknowledge that and believe it at any moment at any time. And that's repentance. That's the moment of repentance when you see, you know what? I'm doing something I don't want to do. And it has no effect. It's neither positive or negative. It's not destroying me. I'm going to progress toward God right now. And I'm going to repent in my mind and say, you know what? It's not me doing that. And I'm not talking about schizophrenia, split personalities, two different people. I'm not talking about any new age weird weird spiritual stuff. I'm just relating to you what Scripture is saying. The body of death that Paul was trapped in still did things he didn't want to do. You gonna tell me Paul never had a curse word not a curse word, but never had a cross word with anyone? The dude was straight up strong willed. I mean Right? You gonna tell me he wasn't a little bummed out once in a while walking from Malta to some other place to Thyatira, traveling around Eastern Europe, getting freezing cold and beat up and discouraged. You think there wasn't days he was fearful? Which is you're commanded to not be afraid, and he himself even admitted we feared even unto death. Are you telling me that the Apostle Paul, I think the Apostle Paul, if he showed up in most churches, would punch the pastor in the mouth because people have made the Apostle Paul like Jesus. As though he's some glorified person. He's a flesh suit, has problems just like you got problems. I got problems. And the Bible even says in James that Elijah was a man just like you, and yet he prayed and God heard and moved. Paul was a man just like me, and he's in a cloud of witnesses right now glorifying the Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think it's, it's the... It's instantaneous, but it's also progressive because we grow in grace, and that sanctification is one of the biggest gifts of grace yeah. that God gives to us that we can be little Christ yeah. do the works that He did, and even more than He did. Right. And I think you'd look at it in a diff- maybe the same, what you're saying, but sanctification is instantaneous, and therefore it talks about a position. But maturity is progressive. Okay? Because the Bible says we're not supposed to view one another from the flesh's point of view, but we're supposed to see the inward man is growing day by day, but the outward man is perishing day by day. So really, what we've done is we've made sanctification a label for the way people can view us. And that is never... And the way we're supposed to view ourselves. And we're never supposed to view ourselves based on behavior. 
And nor are we supposed to view other people based on behavior. Right. So sanctification, I think, has been mistreated as a label of somebody who looks more like Jesus on the appearance level. The problem is it's become perverted because there's people who polish their fruit on Sunday mornings, but an inward man are completely disgusting. They look sanctified, but in reality, they're full of dead men's bones. So if it's really about what we look like, right? Sanctification then is less about looking like or progressing in that. Maturity, I believe, is exactly what you're saying. Because now that I know I'm sanctified, I have the opportunity in an increasing degree to turn from my sin faster and faster and faster and faster, which creates less and less dead works. I can look at sanctification as like, if you look at sanctification as an ongoing thing, it's it could it can be looked at that way only because every time you're doing something that's fruitless, it's convincing you more and more that that doesn't work. Yeah, you know. That's the only way, you know, that, in that regard, it looks like it's ongoing. Because each time you're learning more and more, that's fruitless. Yes. Let me stay here. So it looks like an ongoing thing in that regard. Because mm-hmm. you're doing that constantly in life. Yep. Right? You're realizing that does not produce anything good. Right. So. Absolutely. And that's why, see, well, that's what grace does, guys. Grace, like the real deep levels of grace, will absolutely annihilate people looking at each other. And that's the whole point. The point of grace is we don't look at each other. We look at him. And we don't look at ourselves. I don't sit in the mirror all day going, I just want to be more like you, Jesus. I just go out in the world and be like him. You know, and I'm I'm not worried about yesterday. Paul even said this. He said, guys, I forget everything that lies behind me, which means I forget the beatings, the imprisonments, the good things, the bad things. I'm just going to go with zero from this point forward in the glory, into the glory, into the faith, into the faith. And I'm going to go and go and go and go. And I'm going to be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm not compelled by anything any man thinks. And I don't please men. That's what he said. I'm not into this for pleasing men. And he said, by the way, you think I'm strong in word? Maybe I should show up and whoop a few of you. You know, that's a, that was his attitude at times, which isn't the most right attitude, but what he was doing is saying, guys, I am going to go hard for Jesus until the day I leave this planet. That's what the grace message really will do for all of us. And when you get that, competition is dead. Amen. Exactly. When we see so much competition in the body, it's because men are holding on to those things still and they have not let them go. That's exactly right. Yeah, competition is so deadly in the body of Christ. So he says, in his flesh suit, he says, for I desire to do what is right. So here's, what, here's my point to anyone who says this is about Paul, and I'm just putting this out there. This will be online at some point. But to say that Paul was not a believer when he was declaring these things, or that he's talking about a pre-believer time in his life, there's no non-believer, nobody who's been baptized and in, in, who has gone into the death of Christ and become one with Christ who desires to do what is right. Right. Nobody. You know, I didn't desire to do what was right, guys, when I didn't have the Spirit of Christ saying in me, you know what? You need to walk with me. Right? I just wanted to be me. It was about me. Everything was about me. I want me. This I want. That I want. Even when I was nice to people, it was about me. I want to feel good for doing nice things to somebody. Everything was about me. So he's saying, guys, I wanted to do what was right, but I didn't have the ability to carry it out in the flesh suit. All of this is about the body of sin. And again, what's, what's in control? He said, don't put your body as slaves of unrighteousness. 
So here's the point. If you think your body's more powerful than your mind and the spirit, you're absolutely wrong. And we're going to get there. What he's presenting to us is why is it that he wants to do right, but he carries out wrong things, okay? He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You know how many times I have been sharp with my children and how many times I have repented to them, to God, to my wife? Over and over, I have, I've repented of the same mind. Here's the deal. I'm trained in a world where my father is sharp toward me, barks at me, brah, brah. And I learned through this process of time how you discipline is rah, rah. And then Christ comes into me, and I don't want to be rah. I want to be like him. And then something happens, and I'm rah. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't this flesh suit. I don't want to do that. So I don't have to mope around and grovel in my wrong action. Immediately I can say, dead work. You know what, kids? I shouldn't have said what I just said. I said it. But here's the deal. I'm going toward Christ. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do it right. Hallelujah. You get it? Now the next time, it may come up again. And so that's what he's saying here. He's, guys, he's like, I, I don't want to do this, but the evil I don't want is what I continue to try to... I, I'm ingrained in this thing. He says, now if I do what I do not want, who's doing it? It's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin dwelling within me. So Paul's saying, guess what, guys? I'm not perfect. I haven't reached perfection. That's my goal. It's my, my desire to reach the high prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. So I find it a law... To be a law, not the law, not the works law, but a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So to think that this was a time before Paul was a a Christian is ridiculous because he says, I delight in the law of God in the inner being. He's talking about his spirit. He says, I delight in it, but I see my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind. And it makes me captive. Now, this word is not the same as a slave. It's captive like if you were in a war and the enemy came and grabbed you and took you as a prisoner. Which could be momentary because you could break away. You get it? It's not like you're a slave. You have to be there. This is how you're, you're, you're captive to it. This is like he got a hold of me for a second, but I ran the other way. You know, like that's, that's my mindset on this idea. He says, so I'm captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So my members, guess what? Your tongue is a member of your body. And James says, by the whole thing is steered by that one little member. That's right. That's right. So when you want to say, well, I haven't done anything wrong with my hands lately. I haven't done anything wrong with my feet. I haven't done anything wrong with my eyes. What have you said? Have you spoken life? Have you spoken death? Have you encouraged? Have you discouraged? You know, so the tongue is one of these members that goes faster sometimes than our ability for the spirit to get a hold of it. I'm just testifying, right? I think we can all testify. Yeah. And sometimes my tongue works through text message too. I realize I get a text, boom, I hit send and oh, and Jesus did that to me this week. Jesus, I sent a text message that did not have the right spirit behind it. And I repented for that. And it wouldn't go through. And I tried again. It wouldn't go through. And I tried again. God. And it didn't go through. And I went, okay, Lord. And I deleted it. And I was like, there was an angel standing on my phone. I'd hit sin. He'd go, <laughs> sin. <laughs> Grace of God was at work. So he says this. So I find it to be a law. Okay, so here's what's happening. It's sin is dwelling in my, in my members. 
And he calls himself this wretched man. Love you guys. Bless you, bless you. No. Yeah. We love you too. Amen. Thank you. So he says, wretched man that I am. So he's admitting this, this body of death is, is wretched. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So here's Paul saying this to you guys. He's preaching a message, and in Romans 6, 6, he says, the body of death is annulled, zero, it's dead. It's not negative, it's not positive, it's dead. It's no, of no effect. The body of sin is of no effect. Then he goes on to say, the evil's lying close at hand, and I am the one who's now been captive to the body of sin. So who can save me from this annulled, dead body of sin that still does things when I don't want to do things? And he says, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my, what? Mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So there's a war in us. And he's not, den- he's not denying the war of, that goes on inside of us. And he himself injects himself into the war, saying, I'm at war. Sometimes I'm captive to my members, but a lot of time I'm not. But even if I am captive to my members, it's not me It's sin that dwells in me. And you know who saves me from it? Jesus. And at any moment, I can look at Jesus and say, I'm saved from what I'm doing right now. I'm delivered. That's repentance. And it takes more faith for you to look in the face of Jesus, call yourself righteous when you're doing something wrong, than it does for you to look in the face of Jesus and call yourself righteous when you're doing something right. Way more faith. Way more faith to look him square in the eye and say, you paid for this, you died for this, you gave this to me, and I know that what I'm doing is absolutely not in keeping with who you are, but I am still who you say I am. And now I'm coming higher. What? Sin abounds, grace abounding much more. So, watch this. He just presented, and we're not going to go all the way through eight, so don't worry, we'll eat lunch at some point. But we're just going to cover the first few verses, and I feel like this is where the Holy Spirit kind of culminated this thing. He presented something else, else new here, where he said, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In Christianity, there's a danger of emphasizing components of the humanity and de-emphasizing components of the humanity. There are, there are portions of, of Christians who want to basically want you to be mindless in, in one way or another. Just walk in the Spirit, man. Just flow in the Spirit, man. And, and you're in danger of going into places that God wouldn't want you to go. But then there's the other side who are so about the mind and knowledge that they live in Romans chapter, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which says knowledge puffs up. And they obtain for themselves knowledge and knowledge and wisdom and knowledge and knowledge. Why? Because they want men to think they know a lot about God. And they use the mind, and the mind becomes like, now your sanctification depends on how much do you know. And they ask you set-up questions like, so, what about the uh, third dispensation in eschatology? And you're like, yeah, you're like, I I don't know, like, uh, how do you want me to answer? You know, like, because it's not that way. But... The mind is the battlefield. It is the place of thought. It is the place where you were trained. Your mind has all the synapses in it that are constantly trained. So over time, you actually get nerve direction from the things that happen repeatedly in your life. So your parents treat you a certain way repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. You respond away repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Those are the things that are being transformed through a renewing of your mind Okay, so the mind is extremely important. And it's where your mind gets set 
that is of the most key importance. So watch what, watch what happens. He just presented this idea and then he goes into it. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. Has set you free. Yes. Does anybody have a translation that says, to those who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit? In verse 1 of chapter 8. What? Yeah. That does not, is not textually supported by the majority and the best manuscripts because what happens as soon as you say there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that's boom massive grace then when you say who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit you immediately put works right after grace mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a contradiction mm-hmm. and which is also an addition later in the text mm. thank you That's the truth. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Him, no condemnation. He says, because the law of the Spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think that's just, that second verse is just defining what has been done. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's just defining what has been done. It's not telling that's you, right, right. you know, that you, if you never do this, mm-hmm. it changes. Yeah. Well, well, so well, I'm not yeah. 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 well, what yeah. I'm talking about yeah. is the text. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the, uh, our, our, the textual evidence for that as being a part of the manuscript is not there. Oh, yeah, and, and then when, it's not there, right. And then when we look at it theologically, you know, you've gone from there's no condemnation, hallelujah. Oh, I've got to walk after this. Well, I think, and that's, but like what Tom's saying is really true because that's the whole point is that's what the apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit is defining through all of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 is he's saying, even though you may give over to the bodysuit of death, you're not doing anything. You're not doing negative things or positive things. You're, you're, it's dead. It's annulled. It has no effect, zero effect for the believer to do something that doesn't keep with God's character. And he's saying that because he's saying that's what dead to sin really means. And if you're dead to sin, then you will walk by the Spirit because it's even when you give over to the member of the flesh, it's not you doing it because you are new creation in Christ Jesus. You're brand new. You are whole as Christ, just like Him, justified, perfected, sanctified forever, once for all. That's what Hebrews says. So even though we, we have a distinction that I've got a bodysuit, when I perform things not keeping with God in the bodysuit, Paul says, it's not me, but sin dwelling in me. Therefore, I'm walking in the Spirit. That's where I'm going with this, guys. Look what he says in chapter 8. He says, For the law of the Spirit has, of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is a culmination of 5, 6, 7. Right here. He said, when, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So both the bodysuit and every action the bodysuit can do. That's what He's covering it all, guys. He's saying this is what Jesus came to die as. He condemned sin in the flesh. And when you were baptized in Christ, you were baptized into what? His death. You're baptized... <laughs> 
That's all right. Same you, thing, yeah, same. You were baptized into his death. So if, if, get this, if Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, in his death, do you know that you have condemned sin in the flesh, in your death? You were crucified with Christ. Either you were or you weren't. If you're crucified with Christ and you're dead to sin, then therefore flesh and sin is dead. And even when your bodysuit does things it's not supposed to do, it's not you doing it, it's the sin that dwells within you. I mean, that's what Scripture's saying. So, he goes on and says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? To walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This doesn't mean unbeliever. This, this verse means unbelievers versus believers. Because when you're in the Spirit, he's defining it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here's the key. What is your mind set on? What is your mind set on the majority of the time? Because our minds are not always going to be set on the right things, and that's why repentance is necessary. But what is the majority of the time, what is your mind set upon? The things of God or yourself? See, it's easy to say, well, my mind's not set on the things of the flesh. I don't want uh, bigger houses and bigger places, and I, I'm not coveting. And My mind's not really set on the flesh. I don't, I don't want to be this, and I don't want to be that. I'm not, I'm not acting this way or that way. How much of your time is spent, about, spent on you? How much of your mind is set on what you can get, who you are, who people think you are, what your social media account says about you, what, what other... I'm serious. See, we can say that, that phrase, not, my mind's not really set on the flesh, except you have become the centerpiece of your mind. Mm, that's okay. There are people in the body of Christ who will walk around looking very sanctified, with very bright minds, filled with the Spirit, looking and appearing on the outside as though they're walking the Christian life perfectly. But I will tell you something. They are so set on themselves that it would be a wonder whether or not they really are walking in the Spirit. They've raised up their own kingdoms. They've raised up their own followings. They've raised themselves up. And I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm being honest because the Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not know you? Did we not prophesy in your name, heal people, cast out demons? Did we not do the very works that you commanded us to do? And they will say, depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. I didn't know you. So it didn't matter what they looked like, acted like, talked like, sounded like. What mattered was, on the inside, their mind was set on the things of the flesh, not set on the things of the Spirit. Why can Paul in chapter 7 say, I don't do things that I want to do, and what I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, because he understood my mind is set on the things of God, but there are times when I get distracted, and there are times when I fail, and there are times when I fall short, and in those times it's not me, because me wants to be on him. But the reality is I'm doing what I don't want to do right now. powerful it's freedom it is liberation you never have to appear you never have to act you never have to behave you never have to condemn yourself you are completely dead to sin and how you know if you're in the spirit or not is the fact you don't want to do what you just did if you don't want to do it then you can firmly sit down on your couch and thank jesus that you're in him and in him fully in that moment 
You can shut your computer watching pornography and say, I am righteousness of Jesus Christ right now. And this is a dead, inactive, unoperative, worthless waste of my time. So I'm just going to sit here with you. See, and all of a sudden, everything we all tried to become and everything we thought we should become just disappeared. And all that matters is Jesus. He freed me from sin. He put it to death. He annulled its power in my body. And He continuously raises me up to a higher place in Him all the time. He has higher places, guys, than we've ever contemplated before. He has higher places than anyone has ever contemplated before or anyone has ever seen. He's infinite in the high places He can raise you up to today, this day, and every day. For every day you grew in Him, you could grow more the next day. How awesome is that? You don't have, you're not capped out in Jesus, guys. There's no capped out. There's no ceiling. There's no glass ceiling in Jesus. You can go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And the maturity that will grow in you guys is this. It's, it, it looks progressive in sanctification because your seeds being sown in your life are fruit-bearing seeds. And in time, they produce fruit that causes you to go up to a higher place. It's when you can lay your hands on somebody who is sick and with full confidence and authority over the course of time, know they're going to get better. You're not wondering, asking, pleading, hoping. You know they're going to get better. Why? Because you matured in faith and seeds of faith, belief that continuously came out of your life. So where's my mindset? He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And when he's saying God's law, do you realize he's talking about the law of grace? Because God's old covenant is over. It's done. There is no more old covenant. There's no, there's no contract that exists anymore. That's why in Hebrews it says he's given us a much better way. And the first one, he even called it obsolete. I know, God did that. I did not. But God said, it's obsolete. Non-existent. If it exists in any form, Jesus wasn't sufficient. That's right. And if it exists in any form, then, there are, then it indicates they're still two separate people because there has to be a contract. Mm-hmm. But you know, the verse also says what's obsolete and aging will soon fade away. Amen. Mm. And, uh, and that's what you're releasing over us. Yeah. Paul, you know, when you think about that in terms of the practice of the Jewish faith, it meant one thing, but it's a type and shadow of this dynamic of trying to cross every T and dot every I, uh, uh, becoming obsolete, mm. and aging, and then fading away. Mm. And so the power of that uh, performance-based initiative to relate to God, yeah. even as you're speaking all this morning, it's fading it away fading because away. it's yeah. obsolete yes. and right. aging. Yeah. And I believe it says it will soon fade away. It might have used the word soon. Yeah. I'd have to go back and see. Hallelujah. But I think it's okay if we say that. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that it will soon fade away. Mm-hmm. It's influence yeah. over our lives yeah. as it relates to causing us to stub our toe yeah. and fall down because we're trying to do something uh, out of the dynamic of pulling up our own bootstraps uh, will soon fade away. Jesus. I'm just going to read this as a declaration over us to finish. It says, You, however, 
You, however, we, however, I'm saying that over us, we, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. How cool is that? So, you don't have to present your members to unrighteous, like to sinful things, dead things. Because He wants to present your members to life in righteousness. Which, here's what that means, guys. It means you all have an assignment in the world to let him use you on an adventure you've never been on before. You, don't even, you won't even be focused on the, on the junk. You'll just be like, you know what God did with me this week? You know where God took me this week? You know what God introduced me to this week? You know what Jesus did this week? It's just going to be incredible. And that's life in the Spirit. Yeah, can I say something, Justin? Yeah, please. I had an associate. 